This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Funding for Igeret HaTshuva, the Epistle on Repentance, is provided by Isaac, son of Devorah Mindel. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg Page 1098, Chapter 10 So in the previous chapters we learned about the two levels of teshuva. There's a lower level of teshuva, and then there's the higher level of teshuva. It says Hashem breathed our neshama into our nostrils. So, what does it take to interfere the breath? Any barrier is enough to interfere and doesn't allow the, the breath to flow through. If we act in a way that's not godly, we, we create a barrier that doesn't allow the flow, doesn't allow the neshama, doesn't allow us to feel, to experience, and to sense that connection, sense of godliness. And then our relationship to Hashem is also compared to a rope. A rope that's made up of 613 strands. It's every time we don't do a mitzvah, we do a sin, we, we cut another, we sever another a strand in the rope. So again, we're weakening our connection. Teshuvah tata, the lower level of teshuvah, restores the soul, restores that connection, removes the barriers. So teshuvah means to return, restore. Restore the painting to its original beauty, restore the soul to its original state where everything free flows and the connection is clear. And... But then there's a higher level of teshuvah. Nothing to do with sin. Where the soul wants to reconnect with Hashem the way the soul was before, before it came into this world, before the soul was born, before the soul entered into the body, the soul at its source is absolutely one with Hashem, is within Hashem. There's no ego, there's no separation, there's no I. When, this, when we, the moment the soul enters into the body and we become, we have the sense of I, the sense of ego, there's already a disconnect. And the soul yearns to reconnect to its original state. And that's a, that's a deep existential angst which the soul suffers from. And that's why we're so unsettled inside and so restless we can't put our finger in it but what's bothering us what's troubling us it's existence ego I separation because it's totally unnatural for the soul the soul's natural state is when it was connected with Hashem and then the soul comes into this world and with a sense of separation so the soul wants to reconnect with Hashem and become completely unified within Hashem. How does the soul become completely unified with Hashem? How do you overcome this separation, sense of ego? How can we become completely unified with godliness? So Hashem gave us Torah and mitzvot. When we study Torah, and we do a mitzvah, we're doing a divine act. We're doing something godly. When we're putting on the tefillin, we're doing something godly. When we're studying Torah, we're doing something godly. When we're hearing blowing the shofar, hearing that we're doing something godly. When we're giving tzedakah, we're doing an act of kindness, we're doing something godly. So through these godly acts, and especially through studying Torah, where we become completely immersed in the studying of the Torah, fully engaged in the studying of the Torah, we become godly, we become completely unified with Hashem. We overcome the ego, we overcome any sense of separation. And that's the only way to soothe the soul. Because the soul is yearning to reconnect, the soul wants to become completely and absolutely unified within Hashem. And the only way to do that is 
by doing godly things. So this is the higher level of Teshuvah, where the soul clings to godliness, yearns for godliness, and returns home, returns back home to its, in a deeper sense. This is the mission of why the soul came into this world. The soul's mission is to do Teshuvah, to come back home. Because for the soul, this is like a, a roller coaster. This is a plunge from the abyss, from the peak to the abyss, coming into this world, being born, being disconnected, feeling disconnected. The soul is unconsolable. That's why the baby cries. And the soul doesn't stop crying. We become desensitized. We don't hear the soul's cry. And it comes out of many, many different symptoms. We're not happy, we're restless, this thing, that thing. But the truth is, the ultimate reason is because the soul is crying. The soul is inconsolable. How can I justify existence? How can I justify my being? What am I doing here? What's this all about? And after a while, all the band-aids stop working. All the external things we try to acquire possession we ferociously try to acquire that will satisfy me but all the money and all the power and all the fame and all the indulgence in the world can't soothe that cry because that's not what's bothering you and that's not what you're looking for and that's not what you care about deep down the only thing that can soothe the Jewish soul not meditation and not religion, not spiritual. The only thing that can soothe the Jewish soul, not spirituality, is divine things, godly things, Jewish things. Torah and mitzvah. So when the Jews do does a mitzvah, that's like taking the soul out of a concentration camp. Imagine giving a soul reprieve, taking it out of its concentration camp, bringing it back to the royal palace where it came from. Otherwise, the soul feels it's in exile. It's torture. The only thing that could relieve it is when the soul is studying Torah, when the soul is doing a mitzvah. Now the soul feels at home. For the first time, the soul feels calm, soothed, relaxed. And therefore the soul can't get enough of it. It wants more Torah, more mitzvot. It wants to go back to the palace. It's the only way to overcome any separation, any disconnect. And this is not something that you know, we can do on our own. This is something that comes from Hashem. Because Torah and Mitzvah, this is God's language. This is God's mind. This is God's wisdom. This is God's will. This is the divine language, divine communication. So the only way to really touch the divine is by doing divine things. What are those divine things? It's called 613 mitzvah. Divine gifts. That's the only way we can touch, make contact with the divine. Can connect with the divine. And that soothes the soul in the deepest place, in our innermost place, innermost heart of hearts, innermost chamber, inner chambers. And this reconnects us. Reconnects us with our source, reconnects us with Hashem, reconnects us with the divine that's our core that's our essence we're divine and God so he starts out in this chapter he's saying that this teshuvah which is about cleaving and connecting this connection comes from above it's Hashem's Torah that connects us it's Hashem's mitzvot kindness that connects us we do kindness because we're following in Hashem's footsteps so to speak. And we are being kind as an expression of God's kindness. We become expression and extensions of Hashem. This is a connection that comes from above. But, he says, it's not enough. Teshuvah ultimately has to come from within the person. person has to connect with Hashem. It's one thing that Hashem connects with us through Torah and good deeds and tzedakah. But 
the ultimate level of teshuva is that a person has to climb to Hashem. A person has to yearn for Hashem. A person has to connect with Hashem. It has to come out of a restlessness that we have. A yearning that we have. Because it's not enough. It's not enough that the godly soul suffers from this existential angst and this godly soul wants to overcome the sense of ego and separation and wants to cleave and connect with Hashem and the only way to connect with Hashem is by doing divine things being busy and engaged in divine things and it feels like a reprieve for the soul but the real teshuva has to come from the bottom up it's not only our godly soul But even our physical, our bodies, our egos have to desire Hashem. Has to experience a yearning for Hashem. And this is the ultimate level of Teshuvah. Where a person changes, a person is totally transformed. Because at the core and essence of a person, our physical self, what does a person really want? You know, we have this insatiable appetite, insatiable desire. Sexuality is a person's insatiable appetite, insatiable desire. That's why society put taboos and limitations. Except today, they're trying to throw away all limitations. I guess the only limitation that's left is incest. And bestiality, but that's probably give it a little time. I'm sure the freedom, the freedom uh, <laughs> pioneers will will get to that too. <laughs> Once they've, they're jaded by all the others, you know, maybe they'll be marching to city hall to uh, permit incest. Uh, why not, brother and sister want to marry? Why shouldn't they? It's a free country. I'm an American. You know, bestiality can't be too far behind either. But that's a that's a separate thing. But because this appetite within a person is insatiable. And why is that? Why is man the only creature in the universe that has insatiable appetites? No other creature in the universe has insatiable appetites. Not angels and not, not animals. Animals bond once a year and they're very happy. You ever met an animal that overate? That overdrank? Overdosed? They take care of their needs and they're happy and finished. Only man has this insatiable appetite. Can't get enough. Why? Where does this come from? And the truth is, because man at his core and its essence is really godly. All religions look at man, from Christianity on, and say either man is a, an illusion, or man is born in sin, or man is hopelessly sinful. Because look at what a beast man is. Comes along Judaism and looks at the same person and says, no, you have it all wrong. Man is so godly, his core and essence is so godly. That's why he has these insatiable appetites. Because what is he hungering for? What is he yearning for? He's hungering for something intangible. Nothing in the world can satisfy his hunger. But something gets lost in the translation, so he, he doesn't know what he's hungering for. But he can indulge from today till tomorrow. And he can, if he lives like King Solomon and can indulge in every, he can live for a thousand years and has all the pleasures of the world open to him. And, the wealthiest person in the world and can indulge in every appetite in the world, he'll never be happy. He'll never be satisfied. Because that's not what he's looking for. What he's really looking for, is really hungering for, is godliness. Something intangible. God is undefined. is infinite. And the only thing that can satisfy that yearning is not money, not power, not fame, not pleasure, not indulgence, not shopping.
<laughs> Even though it also seems like an insatiable appetite. <laughs> this insatiable appetite takes many forms. The only thing that can satisfy that insatiable appetite is godliness. So, until a person really discovers his core and really discovers his essence and really discovers what, what makes you tick and what you're really all about, not your soul, your body, your ego, your physical self. What, what are you hungry for? What are you yearning for? Why are you so restless? Why is this insatiable yearning? What's bothering you? What's troubling you? What are you looking for? What's driving you crazy? That it's really godliness, because your core and essence is God. So that's the ultimate level of teshuva. That's the ultimate transformation. It's a core transformation. And it's the real you. It's not just your soul. Your soul is pure. Your soul is sublime. Your soul is godly. So of course your soul yearns for godliness. And your soul suffers from this existential angst. And until it does something godly and thinks godly and speaks godly and that's why you can't get enough of it the soul every day you want to do something godly and if a day goes by you don't do something godly you feel you're inconsolable and you feel hollow and empty and shallow inside and you feel but that's the godly soul that's to be expected and even if you sin it can't affect your godly soul godly soul remains pure and untouched you can't touch your godly soul and your godly soul remains godly. And therefore remains unconsolable. It could be buried, it could be dormant, it could be submerged, but it's there and it's powerful. It's very deep. And it doesn't go away. And it doesn't go anywhere. But that's a teshuva, that's a connection that comes from above. The soul is given to us by Hashem. That connection is there that comes from above. And Torah and mitzvah are also something that comes from above. They're divine, they're godly. But the real teshuvah comes from below. When there's that inner core transformation. And this is what prayer is about. Right in the beginning of Ethics of Our Fathers, the rabbis say the world stands on three, three pillars. Torah, Avaida, and Gemilas Chasadim. Torah and, and Gemilas Chasadim, kindness, sadaka, good deeds, goodness and kindness, and then Avoid the prayer. Prayer is where a person climbs the mountain. Torah is where God comes down the mountain and gives us the Torah and gives us divine, His divine Torah. Where God climbs the mountain and God is kind to us and generous to us and this whole world, the whole creation, everything that we have is gratuitous tzedakah from God. We in turn become godly and godlike and we also become giving and and we give and we do acts of goodness and kindness. But that's all coming from the top down. Prayer is climbing the mountain. Well, we climb Mount Everest. We climb the mountain. Our yearning. Where are we really at? We are yearning for godliness. It's who we really are. The real me. My ego, my body, myself, my physical where I align my desires with Hashem. That's trickier, that's much deeper, that's much more profound. Instead of burying or ignoring myself, but I go deep inside and I discover who I really am and what am I really at and what's, what's really bothering me and what do I really want. And, and once you discover that that's your core, that's your essence, what are you looking for? You're looking for godliness. That is a total, total transformation. That is for real. That is the ultimate level of teshuvah. We have completely transformed yourself. You have completely come home, completely connected. It's what you want. It's what you yearn for. It's what you desire. It's, it's you. It's the real you. And therefore, there's no longer any dissonance, no longer any disconnect between my physical and my spiritual my body and my soul. I'm no longer living in two worlds. I become completely unified and one. With myself, completely unified and one with Hashem. 
That's the ultimate level of Teshuvah. That's what prayer is about. That's why prayer is such a key. It's such a central. It's in the center. The, the rabbis say in the ethics of our fathers, three pillars, Torah on the right, on the left, and avoid the prayers right in the center. Because this is the central theme of a Jew, of a Jew's life. We're climbing to Hashem. We're yearning for Hashem. So a person who's totally immersed in Torah and totally immersed in good deeds, but there's no prayer. You're not centered. You're not focused. You're not centered. You're not connected. You're not truly in touch. You're not integrated. You're not unified. Then your truth is incomplete. You can drown yourself and you can totally immerse, totally immerse yourself in Torah. And your whole day is immersed in holiness. It's very good. But where's the real you? Where are you at? Where's the person at? You're leaving out the person. You can completely ignore yourself and totally immerse yourself in Torah and good deeds. That's beautiful. You're bathed in holiness. You're living in the king's palace. You move to the king's, to the royal palace. You're residing all day and all night in the king's palace. You're totally immersed in Torah and divine and godly and holy things. And it takes and occupies you totally and engages you totally. It's beautiful. But the real you is not in the palace. <laughs> You're ignoring the real you. And, until you. and if you ignore the real you, your core and essence is still haunted or, or, or not connected or, or still yearning. And you still have a part within you, a major part within you. It's still restless. You're ignoring it. Maybe you can afford to ignore it, but you know, it's not, it's not, you haven't truly connected. You can't ignore that part within you. That's what drives us, that's what motivates us, that's what, who we really are. You have to be in touch with your real self. And only when you become fully integrated, where heaven, that's where heaven meets earth. That's merging heaven and earth. God came down the mountain. But Moshe climbed the mountain. We also have to climb the mountain. We have to meet God. We have to climb Mount Everest. That takes effort. That's prayer. That means spending time and discovering your true self. The first Hasidim, so a Hasid once came to Mizrich, the... the uh, Mizrich was with Rabbi Dov Ber, the Magad of Mizrich, the second leader of the Hasidic movement. So the Rabbi asked him, the Mizrich Magad, I believe it was the Mizrich Magad, asked him, why did you come to Mizrich? He says, I came to find God. He says, God is everywhere. You don't have to come to Mizrich to find God. The Rabbi says, you know why you came to Mizrich? To find yourself. God is everywhere. But you came here to find yourself. Baal Shem brought prayer, made it central once again. Because <clears throat> prayer became completely forgotten, neglected. People were busy, they were busy learning, they had no time to pray. Prayer became perfunctory. It became an obligation, a duty, like you pay income taxes, something you do, you do quickly, you take care of it, and go back to business. Learning and being busy with good things. And we lost the centrality of prayer. The temple, prayer is a substitute for the sacrifices. Sacrifices, that was central to Judaism. It's in the Leviticus, the center of the Torah, the third book in the Torah. The whole temple was focused on sacrifices. That was the central and focal point of the Jewish people, prayer. Prayer is something that where we discover our real self. And we discover that our real selves is godly. Our true selves is godly. And that's a real discovery. It's a real revelation. It's counterintuitive. And no other, all other religions came to the exact opposite conclusion. Man is not godly. And our only hope is either it's an illusion, it's a maya, or, or quit while you're behind and just have faith and you'll be saved. And, and to discover that your true self, your real self, your real human self, is truly godly. That your body is hungering for God. It's not just your soul. That's 
That's a discovery. That surpasses Columbus discovering America. That's a real discovery. That's totally counterintuitive. And that changes your whole life. And that's what prayer is. Prayer changes you. It completely transforms you. You discover that this is who you really are and this is what you really want. And then godliness is who you really are. Something that you want. Then when you study Torah, and then when you do a mitzvah, when you have prayer as the center, and you're centered and focused, then you are yearning to study Torah. This is who you are. You're doing the mitzvah with all your being, with every fiber of your being, every bone in your body. This is you. This is an expression of you. It's not something otherworldly. I'm becoming saintly and otherworldly. This is who I am. This is what I want. And then it's insatiable. Then your yearning and your love for godliness is insatiable. And the way you do the mitzvah, it's insatiable. And the way you study Torah is insatiable. Because it's who you really are. That's a discovery. That's prayer. Okay, let's read inside, page 1098. The theme of the previous chapter was Shishuva Elah and how it finds expression in the cleaving of spirit to spirit through Torah study, tzedakah, and acts of loving-kindness. This higher level of tshuva, the cleaving of spirit to spirit through the study of Torah and the performance of acts of kindness, comes as a downward thrust from above. Neither Torah study nor acts of loving-kindness elevate a person solely as a result of his own initiative and divine service. Rather, he is aided from above to reach an infinitely higher level than he would have attained alone. Man is limited. Even the most spiritual person is limited and is finite. It's only when you're studying Torah and you're doing acts of kindness, which is as an extension of Hashem's kindness, then you're touching the divine, which is infinite, which is godly. So when you're doing Jewish and you're thinking Jewish, and you're acting Jewish, you're touching the divine, you're touching something godly. This is, this, you can meditate for a thousand years. Buddha himself, you can meditate for a thousand years. It doesn't come close to one time putting on film, to doing something godly, and doing something divine, and doing a mitzvah. It's not a ritual or a custom. You're actually touching the divine. Neither Torah study nor acts of loving kindness elevate a person solely as a result of his own initiative and divine service. Rather, he is aided from above to reach an infinitely higher level than he would have attained alone. So that the word of Hashem shall actually be in one's mouth. This, too, is a divine gift. So even though you're studying the Torah, but it's, it's the Torah of Hashem. It's the divine words. It's like Hashem is sitting opposite you and He's teaching you and you're repeating His words. So you're repeating His words. When you're doing acts of tzedakah, you're doing Hashem's tzedakah. You're doing divine acts. So the emphasis here, yes, you are doing it, but the emphasis is you're repeating the words of Hashem. These are divine words. You're doing the acts of Hashem, which are acts of tzedakah and acts of goodness and kindness. As Scripture states, I have placed my words in your mouth. Your study thus accomplishes much more than what man could attain on his own. Similarly, his right hand embraces me through man's acts of kindness, for kindness is the supernal right arm. With every act of loving kindness, one draws down divine benevolence. One is embraced by a far loftier level of holiness than he could possibly aspire to do by dint of his own spiritual service. By Torah, it says, God says, I will place my words in your mouth. With kindness, it says, God embraces us and hugs us through acts of kindness. So, you see the difference between Torah and kindness. In Torah, God says, I will place my words in your mouth. Because Torah is more internal. When you're studying Torah, it engages your mind. You're understanding the Torah. The mitzvah of studying Torah is to learn, to understand, to comprehend. So when you're comprehending the Torah, you're you're internalizing the Torah. So God says, I am placing my words in your mouth. It's more internal. However, when you do a mitzvah, it's like God embracing you, hugging you from the outside. Because a mitzvah is more, is an act, something that you do. So you're touching the divine. But you don't become intimate with the divine. 
When you're studying Torah, your mind grasps the divine wisdom. So your mind becomes intimate with the divine. That's why he says, I place my words in your mouth. But the emphasis is, God says, I am placing my words in your mouth. And when we do an act of tzedakah, God embraces us. So again, the, the, the emphasis here that it's divine. Hashem is touching us. We're touching that we're being touched by the divine. The mortal man must ascend from stage to stage towards this higher level of tshuva and this cleaving spirit to spirit through the heart's devoted worship, particularly during Shema and blessings. This is Hashem coming down the mountain to us, but we have to climb the mountain. We have to go and climb and go from step to step, which is the higher level of teshuva, where the soul cleaving of spirit to spirit, and this is through the heart and through prayer. But prayer usually refers to, in the Talmud, prayer always refers to the Shmonesre, silent prayer. But the prayer of Shmonesre, if you read the Shmonesre, mostly deals with requests. You're requesting. You request health, you request Parnasa, all the things that we need, you request. On the simple level, prayer is requesting. We have a need. We have to recognize where our needs come from. Where, uh, who butters, uh, where our uh, bread is buttered. And we have turn to Hashem. And we ask Hashem for everything that we need. Of course, you have to go to the doctor as well. You have to go to a financial consultant. But we have to remember, that's just the symptom. That's just the agent. But where does the blessing come from? The healing come from? And the parnasa comes from? It comes from Hashem. So you, you turn to Hashem, all your needs, you turn to Hashem, and you acknowledge all your needs, and you thank Hashem for all your needs, and if you have a need, you pray to Hashem for your needs. That's the simple level of prayer. But here we're talking about the deeper level of prayer. The deeper level of prayer, prayer is not just the time to ask for your needs. And that's why... Many people who are busy studying Torah, they don't have time for prayer. They, 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 they do it quickly because, you know, what do I need already? They don't have that many needs. How much time do I have to spend praying? I need this, I need that, I need that. Let me get back to the, to the Torah. But that's, that's the most external, superficial aspect of prayer. Prayer, the soul of prayer, is as the Talmud says. It says, how do we learn our prayer from the Torah? It says, serve God with your heart. The Talmud says, what, what do you mean serve God with your heart? What are we talking about? We're talking about prayer. Because prayer is with the heart. Prayer is heartfelt. But prayer is pouring your heart out to Hashem. The soul of prayer is pouring your heart out to Hashem. Clinging, connecting, yearning for Hashem. That's the soul of prayer. And just like the prayer is a substitute for the animal sacrifice, Prayer is not just the yearning of the godly soul, Tashem. Prayer is discovering the animal within us, the ego, our natural selves, our ego selves, our human selves, our bodies, body selves. What do we really want? What are we really looking for? What are we really hungering for? What do we really want in life? What does the animal within us want? It's animal appetite. It's appetite for life. We want life. We want zest. We want fun, we want excitement, we want energy, we want, we want life. We don't want to live a bored, boring, dull existence, we want life. Mistakenly, we think that life is external things, material things, which of course that doesn't satisfy us at all. In prayer, we discover what is real life, the source of life. If you connect it to the source of life, you're alive. You want zest. You want zeal, you want energy, you want fun, you want thrill, you want excitement. That's the animal, passionate blood, blood within us that desires, it's bubbling within us, it wants to live, to live passionately. What do we really want? You want life? There's only one address for life. That's the source of life. You want life? Run to shul, you'll have life. The more Torah you study, the more mitzvot you do, you'll come alive. Physically, not just spiritually. The more plugged in, the more connected you are. The more you plug into the source of life. 
the more alive you are. So this is prayers to discover that the animal within us should discover what we're really all about. That at the core, the essence, what we really desire in life is godliness. Something gets lost in the translation and it comes out in very funny ways. And we get distracted and we don't hear that, we, don't, we lose the message, we don't realize what we want. And prayer is the time to realize what we really want, to realize who we really are, what we really are. Climbing to the source, connecting to the source, going from level to level, raising ourselves, elevating ourselves, elevating the animal within us, elevating us, our self which is on the bottom, on the bottom of the mountain, our low self, not our noble, angelic, sublime, spirited self, our lower self that's stuck at the bottom of the mountain, sometimes even in the pit, and start climbing and realizing we're not at the pit, we're not at the bottom of the mountain. We can elevate ourselves. What we really want and really yearning for is we want to get to the top of the mountain. That's who we really are. That's what we're really looking for. That's what will make us happy. That's the only thing that will give us real pleasure, real satisfaction. That's prayer. That's the soul of prayer. That's what the Torah means, serve Hashem with your heart. Just pray for your needs. You don't have to invest your heart in praying for your needs. Okay, God, I need this and this. This is my laundry list. Take care of it. And okay, I'll see you tomorrow. Let me get back to business. No, no, no. That's not prayer. Prayer is a time to work with your heart. Pour your heart out to Hashem. Discover your heart, which is you know, hot-blooded and, and filled with the desires and filled with conflicting desires and, and your heart drives you crazy because it's pulling you in all the wrong directions and, and, and what do you want in life? And what's bothering you? And what's, wh- wh- where's it schlepping you? What do you really want to discover who you really are and what you really want? What, it's really, what you're really all about? What you're truly all about? That's working with the heart and pouring your heart out to Hashem. Discovering it, that's, that's what you're looking for. That takes effort. That's work. That doesn't come naturally. That doesn't, it's almost counterintuitive. But that's, that's the truth. And that's what prayer is about. Prayer is a time to put your heart in the fire and to really discover who you really are. Your true self. Your down-to-earth self. Your human self. Even your animal self. What you really want. As we say in prayer, the holy animals. Or your animal self becomes a holy animal. You realize that what's the source of our animal self? It's the angels who are called holy animals. That they're really holy animals. What we really want in life is not what we think we want. It's part of the con job. We live in a con world, in a false world. Part of the con, and part of the falsehood is that we don't even know who we are. We don't even know what we really want. We don't even know what we're all about. We delude ourselves. We think we know. We think we're so certain. This is what I want. And you go a little deeper and you'll discover that's not what you want. What you really want is godliness. That's who you really are. That's what you are really all about. That's what prayer is. So prayer represents the higher level of teshuvah. You become completely unified and one with Hashem. Where earth meets heaven. What's the imagery of prayer in the Torah? The most powerful imagery of prayer in the Torah? Jacob's ladder. The ladder is firmly planted in this world. Mutz of Arza, not Oretz. Arza means within earth, earth of earth. Prayer starts out with the earthiness of earthiness, with our real human, grubby selves, selfish, self-centered, self-absorbed, our real human self with all our foibles. And then through prayer and the four rungs of prayer, four different levels, we climb that ladder and we lift ourselves up from earthiness of earthiness, from the crust of earth 
and we climb up to not Hashemayim. Sulam Nitzav Arza Mutzav Hashemayim. Torah says Hashemayim, heaven of heaven. The same person who's on the bottom of the mountain is grubby and coarse and crass, and the bottom is earthy of earthiness. That same person suddenly, through prayer, climbs the mountain, climbs the ladder, and reaches the heaven of heaven. That's the shuva. The soul is coming back. The person is not only the soul is coming back. The person is coming back. There. The whole person is coming back. There. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Every part of the person is coming back. There. Every part of the person is taken up the mountain, is taken up the ladder. The animal is being offered, is coming closer, is, is ascending. Our human self is ascending. Not just our angelic, divine, sublime, otherworldly, godly self. This is what prayer is. This is the heart and soul of prayer. So what passes for prayer today, before the Hasidim, before the Baal came around, it's almost a mockery of what prayer really is. It's dry, it's mechanical, it's by rote. People are falling asleep, if not physically, spiritually asleep. There's no heart, there's no soul, there's no feeling, there's no climbing, there's no yearning, there's no thought, the sense of godliness. It's, okay, let's, get, let's do the obligation and let's move on. Let's move on to the Kiddush, to the Cholom. This is not prayer. People wondered why Hasidim davened very long. Hasidim would start davening at 5 in the morning, studying first, going to the mikveh, and preparing themselves. And then they would start davening and daven for hours and hours, sometimes finish late. Hasidim used to say, you're not davening in time, you have to finish in time. People are looking at the clock. Hasidim used to say, better daven late than not daven on time. <laughs> you can be on time, but you're not davening on time. <laughs> what are you doing on time? You're not davening. It's not called davening. It doesn't even come close to davening. That's called davening. It's not even davening. You missed the whole point of what davening is. So better to start early and continue late and daven late, but I'm davening. But not daven on time. Because prayer is biblical. According to Maimonides, it's a biblical obligation to pray. The times of prayer are rabbinic. And it says if you pray without intent, it's as if you didn't pray. And even Maimonides that says that prayer is only rabbinic, biblically only, there's only an obligation to pray when you have a need. Well, guess what? Needs are not, not just material needs. Needs are spiritual as well. If you have a spiritual need, that's a need, and you have a biblical obligation to pray. Especially the whole heart and soul of prayer is that you discover that your material needs, your ego, your body that's hungering and, and needy, what's, what does it really need? What's it really hungering for? For godliness. Then that becomes your physical need. Then you have a biblical obligation to pray. So you're telling me, well... I'm sorry, there's a statue of limitation. You've got to finish your prayer on the clock. Look at the clock, pray. But meanwhile, I haven't prayed. I haven't expressed my needs. I haven't fulfilled my biblical obligation. So better to pray and genuinely pray than not pray on time make a mockery of prayer and miss the whole point of what prayer is. So by Hasidim prayer, the Baal Shem to put prayer in its proper place, center. And I remember still seeing, you can see, I remember all the Hasidim would come to 770. You'd see them covered with the talus. Their face was on fire and praying for hours. You're talking about starting six in the morning and praying till five in the afternoon on a, on a Shabbos summer afternoon crying, tears streaming down the face, face on fire, eyes closed, singing, praying. Every word was like a... (laughs) went straight to your heart. It was like from the depth of their being. That's prayer. Real prayer. You're connecting with Hashem. 
It's a relationship you have with Hashem. It's alive. It's vibrant. You're, you're alive. You're connecting. You're yearning. You're climbing Mount Everest. You're, you're climbing the mountain. That's what prayer is. You're taking your animal up with you. You're, taking, you're climbing the ladder. You're discovering who you really are and what your real needs are and what, what you're really all about. This is the higher level of teshuva, where soul yearns for Hashem. But it's your yearning. Your, your being yearns for Hashem. Not only your soul. Your whole being, your entire being yearns for Hashem. That, that takes work. That takes effort. That's what prayer is. And in order to achieve this, it's not enough just the Shmon In order to achieve this, it's primarily through the Shema. And the blessings of the Shema. The papyrus for the Shema. And even the Psuki de Zimra, the preparation even before the, the blessings of the Shema. These are all leading up to the level. Because what is Shema all about? What is the Mitzvah Shema? Mitzvah Shema is not just to recite the words of the Shema. The Mitzvah of the Shema is, it says in the Shema, to love Hashem with all your heart and all your soul and, and your whole being. The mitzvah of Shema is to actually experience that love and to fulfill the obligation to love Hashem with all your heart and all your soul and all your being. You can't leave the Shema until you actually feel and experience this love. You physically feel it. It's palpable. In order to achieve it, you need the blessings before, the meditation, and you need the preparation before that from Baruch Amar until through Yishtaba and even the preparation before that. These are all in order to achieve this experience. So, so prayer, it's not just praying for your needs. Prayer is a time when you experience that love of Hashem. Because there were, there were the Magid of Mizrit, Rabbi Dov Ber, him and his best friend growing up, and he was a study partner, and, and they would study Torah together and Kabbalah together, and, and uh, his friend became a businessman. And he wouldn't spend so much time in prayer. Rabbi Dover became the Magid Mizrich, became the leader of the Hasidic movement, the student of the Baal Shem, the founder of the Hasidic movement. He would pray for hours. And his friend asked him once, he said, I don't understand, what's the difference between you and me? We both know the same Kabbalistic intentions, and it takes me a half hour to pray, an hour to pray, and I'm done. And you, you hours and hours, well, what's, what's taking you so long? So the Rabbi Dovber asked him, he says, tell me. He was a businessman. And once a year, he would go buy wholesale. He would go to the Yerid. It was called the Yerid. He'd go to the marketplace far away from town. And he would buy enough material for the whole year. And he would come back to town and sell it. And he knew that if, And the rest of the time, he, well, once he came back home, he would sit and learn all day. But here, he had to travel far. And he had to spend a month at the Yerid and come back. It's like took two months out of his life. Rabbi Dovber said, let me ask you a question. You know it's such a waste of time and you, you, your time is so precious. Why do you ha- actually have to travel to this Yerid? Why don't you sit home, close your eyes, and imagine you're traveling. So you can reduce a journey of a month, you can reduce it to five minutes. Just imagine you're traveling. And then imagine you got there and you set up your stand and you're going from one stand to the other and you're buying... Okay, another 15 minutes. Instead of another month, waste of time. It takes you another 15 minutes. Then imagine you pack it all up and you travel back. Okay, another five minutes. And then you come home. Imagine you're coming home and you're selling all this merchandise. And you have to sell to this one, sell to that one. Okay, another hour. You can wrap up your whole trip in two, three hours. And then you don't have to waste your time and go back to learning. <laughs> he says, yeah, it's very nice. But it's all in my head. <laughs> I need I need the merchandise. I need the cash. I can't live off of imagination. <laughs> so it very says exactly. That's the difference in you and I. You know all the stops. You know all the stations. You're brilliant. And you know all the Kabbalah. And you know all the intentions. The Kavanot. So you're thinking in your head. So you're right. But you're not there. Because I have to be there. And to be there takes time. To actually travel there. And to experience it. To actually say the Shema and to experience it. Love Hashem with all your heart. And that's not enough. With all your soul. And that's not enough. With all your being. 
And that's insatiable. And that's your whole being, even your body, your physical, your whole being. That takes time. There's no rush. You have to get into the wagon, and you have to travel, and you have to be there. That takes time. There's no instant. There's no instantaneous. We're not a machine. You don't press a button and you're there. You have to prepare and you have to work on it until you actually get there, until you actually experience. So that's, that's what he says, particularly during the Shema and its blessings. Continue. So that he might in perfect truth say during the recitation of the Shema, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Likewise, these words which I command you today shall be upon your heart and you shall speak of them. All the above verses speak of the study of Torah. And right after the Shema, right after we say in the Shema, love Hashem with all your heart and all your soul and all your being, he speaks about studying Torah. And these words refer to studying Torah should be on your heart and you should speak these words when you sit in your home, when you travel, when you go to sleep, when you arise, when you wake up. In other words, the Torah has to be a continuation of a continuation of this love of prayer. That prayer has to inspire you. And once prayer, prayer, prayer inspires you, until you reach the level where you love Hashem with your whole being, with your entire being, genuinely, that it touches your genuine, it your, becomes your genuine truth. It's who you really are. It's what you are really all about. Every part of you. And then your prayer, your studying of Torah becomes something that you want to do. It's who you are. You are godly. Your whole being becomes godly. You, you want to do godly and you want to study godly and you want to connect with something godly. So it permeates everything that you do. And that's the driving force. That becomes the driving force to the Torah. You can't get enough of Torah. This is your hunger. This is your desire. That becomes your insatiable appetite. With the same energy that people run to Las Vegas, you're running to learn Torah. Imagine. Imagine learning Torah with such passion. Imagine learning Torah with such energy. You know, usually there's more energy in Wall Street than any synagogue I've ever been to. Except 770. (laughs) There you see what passion is. The same tumult and bustle and excitement and energy that you find when people are pursuing money and things that they really care about or think they care about. You don't find that in in a... Come to a godly place, it's very docile and very tame and very angelic and very peaceful and otherworldly but you don't find that, that, that tumult of life and that energy and that zest and that passion but prayer is supposed to harness that passion that human earthly passion and sublimate it to Hashem that's what you find in 7-7 that's what you find with Hasidus that's what you find when prayer is the center of our life. When there's a real connection with Hashem from the bottom up. That's the higher level of Teshuvah. The ultimate level of Teshuvah. The ultimate level of connection. And that's what Indra Shmai says, as a result of you loving Hashem with all your heart and all your soul, with all your being. And then you just study Torah with that same zeal and zest. With that fire. With that excitement. With that enthusiasm. With that hungry, human hunger that human need, neediness, and hunger, and passion. The word of God must truly be in his mouth, which is the case when one's mouth third serves as a vessel for God's word. And there is no truth but Torah. But this becomes your truth. That your truth becomes the truth of Torah. He must also perform all the mitzvot as it is written, He has sanctified us with His commandments. When we do a mitzvah, a mitzvah that results from prayer, when a person connects with Hashem in the higher 
connection, the higher level of connection, where you pour your soul out to Hashem, and you yearn and cleave to Hashem, then the motivation to do the mitzvah is because Hashem sanctified us with the mitzvah. That by doing the mitzvah, we become sanctified. As he says, expels it out now, comes from the word kiddush, which is marriage. Marriage, there's two parts to a Jewish marriage. Kiddushin accomplishes two things. Kiddushin means separate. You separate yourself from the rest of the world. It's exclusive. I'm only going to be commit. Both spouses commit. They're only going to be intimate with this, with my spouse to the exclusion of everyone else. And then you have the commitment to your spouse. So it's two things. It's a separation from... And it's a commitment. So Kiddushin is two parts. So when you say that God sanctified us, because when a Jew truly becomes connected with Hashem, there's two things. Firstly, we become separate from everything else. And we become completely committed to Hashem. We become separate from material indulgence. We no longer define ourselves by materialism. And we become completely connected with Hashem. Because when the mitzvot are done as a result of prayer, what do you discover in prayer? That all your materialistic hungers and all your materialistic urges and neediness, what are you really looking for? You're not looking for materialism. Materialism will never satisfy that hunger and that deep place inside of you. It's not what you're looking for. And it's not what you want. You want life. You want passion. You want thrill. You want excitement. You want life, vitality. You're not going to get that from anything material. It's a dead end. The more you indulge, the more it runs away from you. You lose your ability to enjoy. That's not what you're looking for. It's not what you want. So the more you connect with Hashem, the more you realize you separate yourself from the material. That's not what defines you anymore. And you become exclusively committed to Hashem. Kiddushana, Hashem sanctified us. He's marrying us, and we're marrying Him. And we're committing ourselves to Him. And we're separating ourselves from everything else. And the word Kadesh itself comes from the word holy. You're connecting with Hashem, who is holy and transcendent. Hashem's transcendence. That transcends the world, transcends the whole frame of reference, of reality. You're connecting with the very core and essence of Hashem. And your core and essence is connecting with the core and essence of Hashem. Coming intimate with the core and essence of Hashem. Because this hunger that we have within us, this insatiable hunger, insatiable yearning, what are we yearning for? We're yearning for something that's infinite and undefined. We're yearning for the holiness of Hashem, the transcendence of Hashem, Hashem's core and essence. And that's why we're never satisfied. And that's why we have this insatiable hunger. Because that is our core and essence. As he refers to what he said earlier in the first part of Tanya, when we say that God transcends the world, it doesn't mean that God is above us and beyond us. On the contrary, it means God is our core and essence. But we don't grasp it. And we don't sense it. So we're completely oblivious to it. But that is the truth. Our truth is, God's core and essence, that is our truth. And therefore that is who we really are. And that is what defines us. Exclusively. And that's why we connect with mitzvot, we connect, we connect with Hashem's holiness, Hashem's core and essence, Hashem's transcendence, self. And to the exclusion of everything else. That 
totally radically transforms our being. Our being is no longer connected with anything materialistic or, or that's not what we're about. We become exclusively and totally connected with godliness and holiness. And this is the higher level of teshuva. And this is the baltruva, actually, the ultimate baltruva. Baltruva, especially the higher level of teshuva, is no longer pulled towards materialism, towards ego, and because he realizes the shallowness and the superficiality of it all. Especially since he's been there and done that and realizes how empty and shallow it is and how completely unsatisfying it is. And if anything, on the contrary, it just causes a lot of pain and it's a dead end and it's a, it goes nowhere. And it's So he has... He, he can see right through it. He sees through the sham, he sees through the facade. And is very clear about what reality is, what his reality is. It's really all about Hashem's Kedusha, Hashem's core and essence. And your core and essence touches Hashem's core and essence. But to be continued... This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com